Hey everybody, thanks for checking into localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm your host, Tim Muma, and this is You Do What? This is a podcast that examines some non-traditional jobs, niche positions, or ones that may seem just a bit more interesting than your typical gig. Regardless, we're letting you know that there are opportunities to turn your passion into a successful career. Now, this episode is sort of taking a look at a discipline within a discipline. We're talking about being a sports psychologist. Perhaps you're not interested in the traditional psychologist's work, but with an emphasis on athletics, it could just be for you. So to help us figure out the details, we have Dr. Peter Peering, a clinical and sports psychologist with Lakefront Wellness Center, as well as a founder of Ignite Your Life. Dr. Peering, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Tim. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Great to have you on. And I think it's a, an interesting area to have a conversation about. And before we get into the topic and the profession, we always want to give our guests the opportunity to fill our listeners in on where they're coming from. So if you could uh, briefly describe your background professionally. Sure. Um, well, the reason I got into sports psychology is I've been involved in athletics in one way or another my entire life. Completely loved being involved with it and wanted to be with, involved with it as a profession. Um, I decided on sports psychology probably my sophomore year in college and in order to get to the point where you can call yourself a sports psychologist, it required 10 years of undergraduate and graduate work, wow. as well as postdoc work, and then you have to be licensed as a psychologist as well. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely get into um, you know some other details as far as the education side goes, and um, I appreciate the, the outline there a little bit. I guess my first thought always, and I think a lot of people wonder, is when you're talking about a sports psychologist. How do you define that? How do you describe what your role is? I think the first thing I do is to try to tell people what sports psychology is not. Okay. Um, I think with the word psychology, especially with athletes where the perception of power and strength is so important, sure. the word psychology can scare people away. <laughs> and essentially what sports psychology is not is it's not Freudian psychoanalysis. I'm not going to put people on a couch and start asking them questions about their mom. Essentially what it is is Twofold. I try to help athletes develop a philosophy on competition and winning, mm -hmm. one that's more healthy and more productive than what they have currently. Okay. And I try to give them the, the mental skills, the tools to put that philosophy into action immediately and in the moment. I mean, let's jump into that right away. If you are having a, you know, a sit down or a session with an athlete, or I guess just walk us through that process a little bit, what exactly you're talking about, how that conversation goes, and um, you know, just fill us in a little bit on what that's like. There's a period of education because a lot of athletes aren't aware of the way they think, the way they feel about the sport they're playing. Mm -hmm. So you try to help them understand what thoughts, what feelings are helping propel them forward towards athletic excellence. And in addition, you try to help them identify those thoughts and feelings, those general approaches that they have that are holding them back. With that awareness, they can move forward. Then I try to give them the tools to manage those thoughts and feelings so that they can essentially play at their, at their finest, at their highest level. Sure. What would you say, I mean, just based on your experience, what, what are the more common things that do hold an athlete back or some of the bigger issues that might prevent them from excelling physically because of the mental aspect? Sure. There, there's several. Oftentimes what I, what I see in my own practice is fear of failure, mm -hmm. which is very common. Fear of success, which might sound strange, but it's, <laughs> it's another common occurrence. Oftentimes our own psychological approach to things is what holds us back the most. So the way we think about things, our inner dialogue, our self-talk is something that can hold us back. Oftentimes we've already defeated ourselves before we've stepped out on the field to play. Hmm. Take us back to that idea of fear of success. What, what does that mean and how is that a, a mental block for someone? 
fear of success essentially refers to if, if I attain a certain level of success, mm-hmm. how am I going to be able to maintain that? Okay. And the fear of trying to keep that level of play consistent with success comes expectations. And there's that fear that you're not going to meet the expectations of others. Mm-hmm. That fear tends to kick in. And instead of playing at your best, the anxiety takes over, the tension takes over, and you never reach that success because you're unable to. Right. I mean, of course, you mentioned fear of failure, and I, I'm sure everybody's had that some sort of sense of that, um, whether it be in a job or a sport or whatever it might be. When you're dealing with someone who you you, you point out is that's their issue, a feel, fear of failure, what do you then focus on? What do you do to try to build them up or get them out of that way of thinking? Fear, fear of failure is essentially that fear related to the end result, mm-hmm. the outcome of the event. When there is too much focus on the win or the loss, the statistics, where you end up placing in the competition, that's where that fear lies. And I refer to that to, as being lost in time hmm. because you're focused on the future and you essentially have no control over the future without focusing on the present moment. And if you can get them to focus on the present moment, the task at hand, where their power is, then they have some influence over their future. Essentially, it's not focusing on winning, but what it takes to win. Sure. So, I mean, do you have any any tips for uh, how do you do that exactly? I mean, I know, I'm sure it's difficult. We're not talking about a specific case or anything like that, but are there any little tricks or insights that, that you use to help do that? Because, I mean, it's it, I'm sure it's, it sounds a lot easier than it is for an athlete to actually overcome. Sure. You'll hear people say or coaches yelling on the sideline, you know, focus, keep your head in the game, mm-hmm. concentrate. It's easy to say that, but the athlete, I, I think, oftentimes ends up asking themselves, Sure, coach, I understand that, but how do I do that? Right. That's where I come in. I'm the how. I teach them how they can control their thoughts, how they can stay focused in the moment. Okay. One aspect of this that I hear come up, and it's this idea of, and maybe it's they don't want to even see a sports psychologist because there's this concern that, oh, I have a mental weakness or I'm weak in some way or um, I just I don't think properly. Is that something that a lot of athletes have to overcome? Is it becoming less of a stigma now in this discipline because you hear about it more often? What's sort of your take on on the idea of people just utilizing a sports psychologist? I think you're exactly right. There is a negative stigma out there, especially with respect to athletes where, again, that mental toughness is paramount. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be perceived as weak or mentally weak. So there might be some resistance. I think in this day and age, however, that is has declined. Okay. Not as prevalent as it has been in the past. Right. But when you look at sport itself, you, athletes are getting all kinds of access to different assistance, strength training, weightlifting, speed training, nutritionists, diet, dietitians, all these kinds of things are available to athletes. And I think they're finally realizing that sports psychology is, is one of those and they're becoming, they're more accepting of it than they have been in the past. Sure. So when you're working with an athlete, I mean, is it, how long is the relationship? I mean, is it a long-term process? Is it a couple of, of sessions? Is it, you know, a, a back and forth over a period of time? How, how does that all work in terms of helping out an athlete? It depends on the athlete. I have gone one to two sessions and the athlete has gotten exactly what they need. Interesting. And they're on their way. Okay. I have, the longest relationship I've had with an athlete is seven years. Wow. So it depends on that athlete's preference and what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. For yourself, are there any stories that stand out um, from your career, you know, one or two that, for whatever reason, you, you really enjoyed working with that athlete? It was, uh, maybe it was a, a real challenge for you, but you guys were able to work through it together. Uh, any, anything that really stood out in your mind? I think it, every athlete I work with, uh, it's a special relationship, and I, and I love working with each and every one of them. 
I think the ones where I've had a longer period of time to get to know them mm-hmm. more personally, to get to know their struggles and a more intimate level and to help them through that have been the most rewarding. It's great to, to talk about a skill, to talk about a technique that they can use and have them put it to work the next day out on the practice field or out in competition right. and see them have success with that. For yourself, have you noticed any differences between, you know, maybe a high school athlete versus a college one versus an Olympic athlete? I mean, are there noticeable differences or does it all sort of come down to the same core concerns or issues? When we talk about peak performance, there's a psychological profile that has been identified with eight different psychological characteristics. And that's what everyone is striving for. Okay. And essentially, when you get to the higher levels, there is a greater tendency for those athletes to tap into that those psychological characteristics. But essentially, if we're talking about the recreational level, collegiate level, to professional Olympic level, we're working on the exact same skills. Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised as to what's lacking at the higher levels because they haven't been exposed to these ideas and and this type of mental skills training before. Right. So those eight characteristics, I mean, can you fill us in quickly on what those are? Essentially, in a very broad way, being mentally, physically relaxed and ready a certain level of confidence is required, being free of anxiety or tension, a focus on the present moment as opposed to being lost in the past or in the future, a certain degree of control. And when they talk about being in the zone, when, when you attain all these other characteristics, you can feel like you're in the zone that they refer to it as, you know, being in the bubble in the envelope, playing with flow. Sure. And that's the end result when you have, those peak moments of performance. You know, I'm actually, I'm glad you brought that up because, and if if you wouldn't mind talking about a little bit, the idea of being in the zone or uh, for yourself, I'm sure that's, as you said, that's sort of getting to that, that peak area mentally. Is that something that's real? Do you see that as being something that does enhance performance? Because you'll get some people who, you know, they just focus on numbers and statistics and say, well, it's just, you know, a hot period, cold period, it happens. I mean, do you really see that as being a major effect on an athlete? Absolutely. And that's the goal. You want them to have those moments more frequently, Mm -hmm. more often. The difficult part about those peak moments is they don't feel like they have control over it. They don't know why it happened. So it's difficult to repeat. And if I can educate them and give them the skills to to bring that moment about more often, then I've succeeded. I I think that's cool. I think that's a very, always an interesting part for myself. Um, You know, obviously I'm just a going out there and having fun playing. But I think, uh, I think it's interesting to hear about those aspects of it. We talked a lot about what, you know, what sort of all of this entails. Um, I did want to touch on the education part of it and how people can get into the profession if they're interested. In, in terms of education, you touched on a little bit. Can you break it down as far as how it works with um, going to school or, and being specialized on the sports psychology side as opposed to just what you know, generally a psychologist would do? Sure. In my experience, I, I, my degree is in clinical psychology, so okay. I went to a, a school with a, a clinical focus. And that's been helpful because I think I'm, I'm more equipped to deal with more clinical issues, depressions, anxieties, um, in addition to the sports psychology. The advantage students have today, however, there are a lot more schools dedicated to just sports psychology. Right. So there's more access to that. So that is a route that people can definitely go. And then if they do go that route, I mean, is it, what are you looking at, like a timeline wise, or just to give people an idea of what what they would be in store for? I think in general, you're looking at probably 10 years of schooling, Okay. um, your undergraduate degree, as well as your graduate degree, and you'll need specific training, whether you go the clinical route 
or the sports psychology route, you'll need specific training in sports psychology as well. Mm-hmm. And it's always helpful to have certain credentials related specifically to sports psychology. Right. There's a governing body out there called the Association of Advancement in Sports Psychology, and I'm a certified consultant with them. And then there is the USOC, the United States Olympic Committee Sports Psychology Registry. Okay. I'm a member with them as well, and they've deemed myself and, and others qualified to work with Olympic athletes. Well, and that was another thing I was going to ask about was um, some of the opportunities that there might be out there in terms of work, maybe the different areas somebody could go into, you know, whether it's a clinical side. I mean, can people work with a, a team, an organization, have their own practice? Well, what are some of the options out there that someone could have if they're looking into this profession? The options are endless. Okay. You can look at the more traditional routes where um, you work in academia, where you might be a professor, a teacher in college. There are those who work with teams on athletic excellence, health and human performance, others that have a private practice like myself who work with individual athletes primarily. Mm -hmm. Um, At times, I will work with teams as well. There are also specializations within the field of sports psychology where you might work with just injured athletes. Oh, okay. Something that's prevalent as well as maybe eating disorders. If you have expertise in that area, that could be helpful working with eating disorders and athletes specifically. I think that's great to hear. I mean, a lot of our, um, the people we hear from, they talk about, they get a degree in something and it's just, it's so narrow. Um, But the way you're talking is there are a lot of opportunities out there if somebody has this specific interest in sports psychology. I think that's, that's great for our listeners to hear. Looking back at uh, maybe what it might take to succeed in this, uh, in this profession, what would you point to as being essential skills or, or personality type that, that really fits well into handling um, this profession? I, with, with respect to the training, persistence and the ability to hang on for delayed gratification, <laughs> it's a long, hard road. Yeah. And when you're in school forever and your apartment keeps getting smaller and you get more and more in debt, that's, that's not too easy to swallow. Sure. But if you get through that, I, for me at least, it's been worth it. Yeah. Well, what, I mean, what is it that you love about it? What, what is it that you really enjoy about what you're doing? Again, I've been involved in athletics my entire life. I have always loved it. And the way to stay involved with that has been working with athletes. And when I can help them achieve that success, those moments of, of athletic excellence, I love to be a part of it. It's, it's my passion. What would you say then is, on the, kind of on the flip side, we don't want to make it seem like it's all, all rosy, um, what are some of the challenges? What are some areas that, that you might, um, I know you talked about the, the getting the perseverance portion of it, but in the actual profession, are there certain challenges that you would point to as, as just something you would say to look out for or to be ready for if you were to enter in this field? I think that the biggest challenge, especially living in the Midwest, is that it's sports psychology and psychology in general have not com- completely been accepted yet. Hmm, if you go to the East Coast, West Coast, they're more open to the idea. Mm-hmm. We have a different mentality here in Wisconsin. If you've got an issue, you, you pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and you <laughs> deal with it. Do you find that a lot, even when people maybe are coming to you or, or have a thought, hey, maybe this would help in some way? I mean, is that still a barrier that you have to break through a lot? I think it's an issue. But when they come to meet with me and they find out that, again, sports psychology is not Freudian psychoanalysis, right. that I'm really there to help them become better athletes, to become better people, they open up to it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Going back to the idea of you know working with these athletes, are you having to pick through something maybe that uh, has developed in them since an early age? I mean, how early might an issue or a mental you know a mental frame of mind be groomed in an individual? Sure, your childhood can have a huge influence on the way you you think and approach the game today. 
So there are times when you are specifically addressing things that may have happened a long time ago. Um, more it's learned behaviors and the things they're still doing today that they, that they learned then, bad habits, irrational ways of thinking mm-hmm. that hold them back and trying to reteach them those behaviors and those thoughts. I mean, is there anything that you find is, is more difficult to manage or, I mean, is it, they all have their own sort of challenges that come along with it? Each and every athlete's unique. So I'm essentially taking the same skills and tailoring them to each athlete. Right. Each psychological makeup of every different sport requires different things as well. I think the most important thing is having an awareness of, of what, where athletes are coming from, knowing their language. Do you think that it's something, if, again, one of our listeners wants to get into sports psychology, is it important that they understand each sport as well and what might go into it and what the different challenges of, of those individual sports are so they can relate to the athlete? Or is it okay if you have a general knowledge and you're able to sort of work your way through that way? I think at minimum, you have to have a, an understanding, an intimate understanding of what athletes go through, mm-hmm. of what they're required to do to compete and to compete at a high level. You need to have that experience, that understanding. Now, with respect to specific sports, I always thought it was helpful when I did know, when I had personal experience with the sport I'm dealing with. Right. However, when you're, you're working in new sports, sometimes it's helpful for the athlete because they're teaching you about their sport specifically. Okay. So they're the expert on that, and you're the expert on the mental skills training. Right, right. Um, is it a way that they can be helping themselves by talking you through some things? I think that it, by teaching me with that give and take, they come to greater insight. Okay. I always appreciate learning about the new sport and that they can be experts as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any preconceived notions about that sport or what's involved or what should be done because I've never played it. Sure. When you work with an athlete, do you then maybe once they, maybe you're still working with them, maybe you're done working with them, do you try to keep tabs on them and, and kind of become a cheerleader and, and take pride in them because... Um, you're almost like a, a coach in a way on the mental side versus the physical side. I'm always a fan. I always try to keep tabs on, on what they're doing, kind of follow their careers if I can. Um, but it's up to them whether or not they want to contact me. Mm-hmm. That's the thing with, with sports psychology. It's a little bit different than other areas is that they can terminate their relationship with, with me whenever they want to. Sure. It's in their control. The other tough part about being a psychologist and a sports psychologist is that everything that we talk about is confidential. Right. I cannot and will not share any of that information specifically with respect to an athlete with anyone without their written permission. Right. The good part about that is that they can trust me absolutely. The downside part about that is I can't tell people who I've worked with. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. that's why I didn't go into that. I, I understand that, uh, that piece of it. You, know, you can only speak in generalities, but we do appreciate you coming on and, and giving us some of the insight here. We are getting low on time, but I want to give you the opportunity just to share anything you like, anything you think is important for our listeners out there um, regarding the profession, if they would be interested in it, um, any last pieces of advice that you'd like to offer up? I think having a clinical degree has been very, very helpful because I'm qualified to do so much more. If you're able to, to focus on just sports psychology and make that a career, fantastic, good for you. But it's always good to have that, that broader experience and that, that broader ability to help people in, in a wider generally help more people. No, I think that's, a, you know, as we talked about, you said there are a lot of opportunities within sports psychology, but to be able to have um, the ability to be versatile like you are, uh, I think definitely opens things up for people. Unfortunately, that is going to be all the time we have today for this episode of You Do What? in our examination of sports psychologists. Perhaps we have sparked some more interest in our listeners who, as uh, Dr. Peering had already had some passion for sports, um, and he used that to utilize it in his career as well. 
Again, we have been speaking with our guest, Dr. Peter Peering, a clinical and sports psychologist at Lakefront Wellness Center, as well as the founder of Ignite Your Life, which you can visit at igniteyourlife.org. Dr. Peering, thanks again for your insight on the profession today. We do appreciate it. Thanks, you. Appreciate it. Of course, we also want to hear from the listeners to find out what jobs you'd like to learn about, whether they're traditional or not. Just send an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Thanks again for checking into LJN Radio. I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.